Welcome to another episode of Michael L. Craver Presents. It is beautiful. Saturday morning, September the 19th, we are live here in Clemens, North Carolina. I'm looking at myself and I'm thinking, hey, what can I do to give people a distraction today? You know, it's like one of those Saturdays where it's the fall weather, people are enjoying, the leaves changing, they've been to the beach for Labor Day, they've ended their summer, they're (laughs) fighting the school system. If you're, and, and mine are in the North Carolina Virtual Academy. They were before COVID, so it's it's a little different. But uh, those of you who are trying to juggle homeschool and Zoom, two days a week you're taking kids to school. Maybe if you're lucky, you've got a private school. You've got one of these states or locations that's opened up five days a week, and it hasn't changed your routine all that much. It's going to give people a distraction. When I think about distractions, I think about the sister. I talk about the subconscious lottery in the last episode. The sister of that, what makes it Twin Cities, is another article, and I titled it years ago. I think I titled it in like 2017, 15, 16. I named it Finding Levity in Tragedy. And levity is my word to, to just blow off steam. I had a quote I used in the last um, episode about how you you boil the steam off to get down to the substance or you get the fizz off of the top of your soda to, to, to taste the goodness. And finding levity in tragedy has a lot to deal with. Folks have consistently come to me over time and trusted me with all sorts of situations. And it's... Pleasant, it's very flattering that people give me that discretion with the things that they hold so sacred. Those of you who are out there, you've listened, you know, I've talked different things about dating and about sex and about, but those are not the most intimate things to you. It's what's happened to you. It's the trauma and the tragedy and all the wonderful journeys that you go through, the human condition, as I call it. Those are probably the greatest compliments that I'll ever get. And to be able to give people a distraction, hopefully to give people something to think about, give people a way out. And levity is my word for it. It's to be able to, if you're maybe an ambulance person, an EMT, something of that nature. Maybe you just run a shift in a very ugly situation, a production place. Maybe you run a restaurant, a quick QSR, quick service restaurant. Um, those are tedious. They're very stressful. <laughs> they are unhealthy often unhealthy jobs and you need something to be able to balance you out and give you the ability to laugh that's what i call levity levity to me is that big opportunity when somebody kobe bryant had died and this was, you, know, you guys probably know the date. I'm not going to look it up. But Kobe dies. It's on a Sunday. We're working a Sunday lunch, you know, and some of the guys in the kitchen are, they're joking, carrying on about other things. And then it comes out Kobe Bryant's died. And we can't confirm this. People in the dining room, some of the guests are, oh, my God, Kobe Bryant died. You know, So it becomes this real piece of or valid, news with validity, right? So now we know he's really passed away and, Oh man, you know, he good he retired, he had a great life. He's, you know, he's doing other things in his community. And somewhere it came up um somebody was joking about something and they threw Kobe into it. 
And um, I'm a big fan of the Bulls and the 90s, and Phil Jackson was the coach of Michael Jordan and Pippen and all the guys. And Before he moved on, he ended up coaching Kobe. And Phil Jackson ran this offense called the Triangle Offense. A lot of you are not going to know what I'm talking about, but it's his triangle offense was something that I had forgotten all about. I don't think about you know, the schematics of, of things in that nature. But I was walking through the kitchen and I said, you know, Kobe, he might not have been in this situation if he would have let Phil Jackson make his flight plan. And somebody <laughs> piped up and they said, yeah, but it just would have been a triangle. He'd have been flying around in triangles or something. Which was, like, between the guys, it was like this clever, you know, it's not going to bring Kobe back. But we're trying to deal with uh, the situation and not be grim about it. So we're trying to have something to smile about. And here's this triangle offense uh, quirk that we're having between us. Nobody's intending any, any kind of harm out of that, right? People make all kinds of dark jokes. You see the office and they run into... That's what she said! Okay. And some of that comes out of a bad situation. Some of it's a very, like I said... Uh, an, an unholy situation. But when I wrote the article, Finding Levity and Tragedy, I wanted to encompass some of the mannerisms, some of my methods to my perhaps madness. And i tell you what, I'll read the article and then we'll proceed with the podcast. And I hope you're listening on, on whatever your favorite thing is. It's Saturday, and uh, if you're sharing this with somebody... Uh, bear with me, because I think you're going to find some some interesting ideas out of all of this. The article, Finding Levity and Tragedy, is written on March 10th, 2020. That's when it was published to, to the site. It was, like I said, I came up with the title a long time ago. I just didn't know how to make it bloom. You know? It's a good word for a business, maybe. Maybe you name your business Bloom. Bloom. Bloom Beauty. Tragedy is a bottomless spring defined individually. Folks can drown in shallow waters. Furthermore, the provocative abyss we experience via the unexpected has every advantage to beat us. Unwanted exploration which may exhaust us past the point of no return. Folks tread these waters with dark humor and vices, a range of wicked purification trying to propel themselves above the gloomy clouds. Eating to pass the time, drinking until misguided in one's own haze. Constant loathing as if man's mind was a city under siege. My flotation device masks me as a charlatan, looking in quirky directions so that you'll wonder what I'm distracted by. The point is to throw off the listener, pausing to mix up the cadence so that any audience second guesses if they're paying attention. Perhaps conjuring something silly out of my subconscious lottery. Whether directly affected by something ugly or aiding and abetting another in their ascension to refill their lungs, to catch their breath, there is an opportunity. Not so much to be a lighthouse from afar, a chance to play guardian in their hour of struggle, hands-on help in the wake of life. Everyone must hydrate their lives, publicly or privately. In my metaphor, the water table is a level for survival. Something awful drags us under, but we all possess the human spirit to sway and flail until all hope is lost. Mm. But there are times people will fail, 
They'll be short of surfacing to refresh themselves with new air. and They will drown their sorrows in their own addictions. Not everything can be prevented. These are cycles that happen as we place value on the various aspects of life. Losing a relationship, a loved one, perhaps being taken advantage of. Taken advantage of. Attempting to bounce back to the surface in a lifelong competition to live. Against time and exhaustion, we have the ability to help one another. Looking them in the eye with reassurance. Letting go only when necessary. Doing our best to hold on through the aftershocks of despair. Perhaps my ability to distract someone has a place in these times. Overtly confusing with mannerisms and words woven from the pain. A new pattern, maybe even a life raft. Storms test the buoyancy of us all. We may tread in open water. One can fall into their well. Resting our feet on the bottom is rarely an option. An ultimate descent through the unfortunate times brings greater pressure and farther into the water pressure, right? New stages, our most difficult obstacles. Though the levees hold only so long, the human spirit can overcome their faults, attempting and adapting to alleviate the pressure. Beyond addiction and vice, we put the past behind us. A lengthy courtship with demons inside and out. To break the monotony of these times, I find there's two ways to lose focus. One increases of depth, bringing us closer to mortality and death. And the other enriches our spirit. We forget to breathe, holding on to that air just a while. Unbeknownst to the affected, a rescue is taking place. Together they are solving the riddles of life's perils. Lost in these moments, they rise, forgetting to struggle, breaking through, and unaware, they've found levity in tragedy. Boy, I really like that. But I wrote that with the intention of trying to sort of throw some of my quirks and some of my tricks in there. And if you noticed them, great. If you're not, I'm going to point them out now. Little things. You're talking to someone who's upset, they're going to cry, they're losing it in front of you, as you might say. And I will continue to look at something in the room, on the floor, in the room kind of covers everything, in the room, in nature, would be outside, so there's your, your two big words, you know, I like those umbrella words. But I'd look at something on a shelf, continue to look at them. And look back at the shelf and play this game. Where the what's he looking at? What's he what's he doing? Why isn't he looking at me? And it throws him off a little bit. Not enough to dis- disrespect or be offensive to them. Just enough that you're looking away and they're what's he looking at? Oh yeah. And it provides a distraction to them. So now they're not going to break down, they're not gonna tear up, they're not gonna have this ugly event in front of you. They can still communicate the same information, but it's not going to bring the sorrow, the somber, the tears. Hmm. It's a little trick. Like these pauses that I have in the conversation. I'll be talking and all that. All of a sudden you stop talking because it makes people pay attention. 
Clint Eastwood used to talk about how he uses silence in his movies, especially in the westerns and things, to use your tone of voice. You lower it down like this. And people have to pay more attention. You have a moment of silence and people... Hmm. Bill Burr has this wonderful bit. He's talking about his, his girlfriend was talking to him. He said, you know, you're kind of listening and you're not kind of listening. And then there's a pause. And you're like, hey, wait a minute. This might be a place where I'm supposed to jump in. That might have been a question or something. Was he paying attention, you know, and, and what's he supposed to do now? And I think of it like that as well, right? I'm talking and it, you'll hear me bounce with the little cadence you know it's like we're on pbs and i'm doing my podcast and the wheels on the bus go around and you know and i'm doing what i'm doing to put some tempo into what i'm saying right yes i'm supposed to have this nice voice what i'm using it for but the silence is a way for me to ch- to fact check or, or attention check you so now you gotta go what was he saying before that oh, oh okay and it gives you a little break there just like when the song dies down right before the big guitar solo, or you know, Beethoven has the little moments between movements sort of thing when you're listening to a great musical uh, piece. Uh, when I say a great musical, a classical music piece. There's some great musical pieces, and some great looking musical pieces. Um, but you know, I would consider some different things. Like in the last year, I ran across Saint Asanya. Which is, um, I couldn't tell you which guys or their names, but it's a combination of guy of a guy from Finger Eleven, Art of Dying, uh, Three Days Grace, Canadian sort of super rock band. So it's S A N S A I N T Saint, just like the, you'd say. And then Asanya is A S O N I A. Fucking love Saint Asanya. I had their first album, which I think came out in like 2015 or 16, something like that. But it, it's got good stuff. It's got a great song called "Wasting My Time" or "Waste My Time," and then a couple of other things that I like, "Leaving Minnesota" and things like that. But their newest one is called "Flawed Design," and it talks about just sort of distraction and and complacency in in many different ways. Uh, but there's some great songs on the album. You'll notice that part of what I'm doing here is I'm sidetracking over to music and this, and then I'll go back to my article. Fucking with you. That's my word for it. I say, I'm fucking with you. Well, not really. What I'm doing is I'm trying to see if you can follow along if we're parallel, right? I made the wrong turn, but I'm going to catch up with you, right? I'm on the side road, the service road. I'm not on the interstate, but I'm parallel to the interstate, and we're still going just as fast as possible. But we've got a little bit of foliage or greenage or whatever between us and then i'm gonna back on the exit and then we're gonna be on the same road again think of it like that it's an old chase movie and you you know you threw me off the path but i can follow you on my path until our paths meet again and i've thought greatly about how that mirrors the human journey right you have someone who's so special in your life you love them you break up with them they're a friend you lose touch with move they don't have social media, whatever it might be. And you get back to that, right? You you guys were, were going down the, the road of life, but at some point your paths may cross again. And you can do different things to try to make that happen. You know, you can you can try to GPS and navigate and look up and try to you know there's nothing keeping you from trying to be in you know, meet them at whatever destination to try to speed up that journey of, of randomness, right? The subconscious lottery being more like you don't know what's coming next. 
but the finding levity and tragedy part of that is yeah there's there's some levity you've you've got to do things in between to try to occupy your mind and keep yourself healthy and that's my that's my you know my I came down to these simple words over the last few years healthy and unhealthy what do you want in a relationship like some healthy energy someone who's got charisma and personality and so, you know it boils down to that aptitude values and energy right smarts morals and do you have the the fucking resources man the, the energy but f- the point of the the levity when you have a tragedy you know someone can bring um, great stories to a funeral home, to a viewing, to a service, to an after, to a, you know whatever celebration of life. You may have a lot of different versions of that. You may only be talking to somebody. You're not going to make it to the um, gala or the event, and uh, just like that, I say the gala, gala. That sounds like some extravagant. Well, it kind of is. You have a gala whenever you're, you know, showcasing something. That's not really how you celebrate death or a funeral or a viewing or you know, graveside service. But when I throw that word in there, it kick you off a little bit. It distracts you. That's the levity. All of these things are are part of a bigger picture. And it's whether you can interject those, whether you have those tools, can you you know what I mean? Maybe I just hit my thumb while I'm hammering I'm hammering a nail and I'm talking to my son about it. Yes, this is how you do it, son. Bam! Oh, fuck! And then instead of showing him your your pain face, as as I told Dark and Graves, painal. Is you you look and you, mm, mm, you know, not everything goes the way you want it to, son. And you talk to him for a second, and give him a little something, and you let a little time pass before you swing that hammer back close to your fingers again, because because. The tragedy of a of a swollen thumb is paining you right now. It's 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 on your mind. There's a lot of blood going to that area. It's throbbing, oh. and you're you know you're talking to him, and you're you're this is your levity, man. This is your, <laughs> this is your ability to distract him and yourself and then you're going to go back when it stops hurting again it's your way of kind of walking it off well this is your reason to talk you're talking it off right i mean these are simple concepts like people i don't know they don't think with these layers they get distracted and then they're blinded, you know, that's a, that's a, a common term road rage or blinded by rage or anger you know whatever whatever you're version of having an it, it is it's healthy or it's unhealthy it's unhealthy it's it's you in a haze of bullshit and as i said about the lighthouses they they see us through the bluff <gasps> have a lighthouse have a little guiding light whenever you're in those situations so that when you're you're looking at that fog and that haze and that anger and rage and whatever fucking see through the other side if you, if it's because you have a spiritual you know beacon that you're looking to for that if you got a person that you talk to a mentor what music as i said my saint is on you whatever those are the things like today i have no idea what i'm going to do with the rest of my weekend i've been working in restaurants forever or or supervising working third shift you know i've been in charge of a lot of people and a lot of square footage and things like that over the years 
and it involved a lot of nocturnal activities where you you know you get off and then you got to find a way to wind down and oh that's the you know and the, maybe I'm exaggerating that term to say that's my that's me finding levity in tragedy but in, in a way you know I'm I'm up and I can't get rid of it right and I've got all these skills all these you know my resume is full of bullshit and and uh when I say full of that's my word to distract it is full of some great skills and leadership and accomplishing goals and I've been around the block I can do about anything and uh, maybe the tragedy of it is working in restaurants and, and making X number of dollars but not putting a lot of money away and whatever it might be. But the levity of it is, you know, you're up and you're, you're watching movies because it's quiet and it's 12 p.m., 12 a.m., 1 a.m., 2 a.m., whatever. Well, I ain't got to be up till you know, tomorrow afternoon if I really don't want to. Like, that's the fail-safe of it. Now, am I going to get up? Yeah, I used to get up real early. You know, I'd mow the yard and pressure wash this and be doing something else and I'd be finding something to do till 3 p.m. and then kill time until I had to be there, you know, maybe 5 or something. And you get there and people are like, oh, I don't want to be here. I'm like, dude, I've been using power equipment all morning. <laughs> I put a lot of miles on my body. I've been shirtless in the 2 p.m. sun at 95 degrees and now I'm here and this is my vacation. Like, this is the levity. It became the levity after a while to be in the restaurant. Because that's your escape from like the other stuff that you're, you're doing. It's not the hardest work. If your work becomes the easiest part of your day, and remember this, if you're out there and you're a parent and you've got these troubles with the virtual academy and, and all of the other shenanigans that go on with your personal, your home life, sometimes work is your levity. Go there and enjoy it. Produce whatever you're supposed to. Play by the rules. And and in, that's your getaway. It's quiet time. It's away from the family, the kids, the laundry, whatever. Hmm. Well, I never thought of it that way. That's right. It's, that's the whole point, right? Rearrange your priorities and see what happens. I used to write these things to be my email signatures or the biography of my blog or whatever it might be. And it would say something like, write period, hope, period, love, period, shuffle, period. But you could put that in any order. Right, love, hope, shuffle, right, shuffle, love, hope. You could do any of it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And that's like the, the beauty of like when I've talked about how I'll say whatever it takes. I'll be the fool. I'll be the bitch, whatever. You can believe anything about me because I'm capable of everything. Or wait a minute. You can believe everything about me because I'm capable of anything. Or right, it's 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 universal. It's like the symbol, you know, when you're doing the yin yang, you know. It's no issue for me. I mean, those things came naturally, right? You should always come naturally. A lot of double, triple, quadruple meetings. The things I say, I just. I think people don't realize that the the release valve, the emergency, not the emergency brake because that stops you, but they, I think often people don't realize that like there's so much going on in the car. If you just let the window down for a few minutes, you'd be all right. Just turn the music up and tell everybody to be quiet. Oh, man, that song, that really hit the spot. Right. 
just like having a margarita or, you know, whatever your fix may be. Maybe you vape. Maybe you do some other unhealthy thing. But that is what, you know, unplugs your modem for 30 seconds and plug it back in and now you're resynchronized. Yeah, okay, Spectrum. But at the end of the day, that's what you need to do to yourself. You need to, you know, clear out the cache and delete your internet history and, and all those metaphors for being able to get off of the path that you were on. You were on a path that was just giving you more and more pressure. And you take a little diversion, you take that little side road, then you. You, you're going to cross path yeah, then you're going to cross paths with where you should have been again, right? You're just going to divert a little bit. A little bathroom break, a little, you know, whatever it might be. Whatever it might be. Get up and go to the bathroom. Hold your phone to your ear. Turn the, turn the volume down so you're not, you know, creating this unruly environment in the facilities. And listen to some song for three minutes. Oh. <gasps> No, that don't work. It does, quite frankly. Or you got maybe your favorite movie scene, and there's a I've got a ton of them that I love. Uh, off the top of my head, "Peace with Inches" is the speech that Al Pacino gives in um, any given Sunday to the football team. Uh, if it's the meeting, Moonlight Graham is having a meeting with with Ray Kinsella. It's the uh, just it's Moonlight Graham's office or whatever from Field of Dreams in 1989. Um, I love the little speech between Pacino and I wish I could remember the guy who plays Hyman Roth, but from Godfather 3, where they're talking about, there was a kid and his name was Mo Green. I mean, there's, there's a million of these. The, the shirt I'm wearing, the hoodie I'm wearing, I chose because of one of those. It says, Endless Summer, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, since 1938, Good Times, and Tan Lines. Why did I choose this? Because it says Endless Summer. Because Gary Busey and Keanu Reeves are in the office for 1991's Point Break, directed by Catherine Bigelow, who did The Hurt Locker and a bunch of other shit. She's James Cameron's wife, who did Avatar and Terminator and Terminator. You know James Cameron movies. So I'm watching Point Break, and at some point, these you know Johnny Johnny Utah and Angelo Pappas is is the guy that Gary Busey plays. And they're sitting in the office. And he says, all right, so tell him, the guys who are working with them at the FBI make fun of Pappas, who's the older officer, he's the mentor, tell him your theory about the bank robbers, you know, and he's got this theory that the bank robbers are surfers. And he's like, yeah, totally. And they fucking, and so they talk about how, you know, at one of the crime scenes there was wax, but people use this kind of wax on their surfboards and you know, there's some different things that they just are coincidences at the moment. But he tries to tell him, he's like, think about this. If they all come together, it's a surfer, tan lines, whatever. And so he says, uh, oh, I was trying to get the line exactly verbatim, but it's it's along the path of how surfers rip off banks to finance their endless summer and he jumps up on the desk and he's doing a, a you know a surfer pose and i've never forgotten you know some uh, point break is one of my if you ask me what my favorite movie is often i will tell you point break some of the music is, is phenomenal it's patrick swayze and keanu reeves and it's it, when you're growing up and you see it and you are looking and thinking about freedom I'm telling you, it's it's something else. And as I've gotten older, it's it's held its place. 
I know they remade Point Break. Whenever they did it, I refused to watch it. I never will. But I love those moments, those speeches, those things, because I can be doing something. And like right before I do my podcast, I'll bring something up. And that'll be my little, oh, push the reset button on my mind, you know. And I'm always doing that with friends. I'll send them something and I'll say, here, think about this. Listen to this for a few minutes, whatever it might be. Okay? And... On my screen right now in front of me, I've got my my computer is a 40-inch television. It's on one side. There's no way that's a 40-inch TV. I'll have to measure it. But the one that's next to, I think, is 55. Maybe that's why it looks so different. It's gigantic. And because I don't have, and I'm using this as a double office for my corporate job and, and my personal desk... This TV's huge, and I can put so many things on the screen, and it looks like a giant, you know, cork board. Like you could you could put all the suspects on one big board, you know, and here's here's the the whole organization. Well, today, the members of my organization, the organized crime that's going on behind this microphone that I'm looking at while I'm doing this podcast for you, has my old. Dachshund. I had a miniature Dachshund who was it was Dapple, who's got the little apple sort of pattern. He had one blue eye, one brown eye, and I was wrestling for a group called Ringside Championship Wrestling back then. And so, uh, no, that's not right. It's Ringside Championship Wrestling Federation. It wasn't just RCW. It was RCWF. Okay, that was the original. Okay, so. Ringside is is in a, a larger picture than most. I've got Thomas Paine who wrote on the rights of man and all kinds of things in the back in the day. There's Harry S. Truman. There's Axel Rose, John Carlos, the original Olympian to throw up his fist with Black Power back in the day. And I've been following Martin Luther King and these guys for for twenty five years. So you know, I, I walk by signs in people's yards that have when in this household we believe in feminism everywhere and Black Lives Matter and. Why? Why do you put your political agenda on a sign at the road? Just live it. You know, you can put a welcome sign on the front door, but do you need to? Who else we got here? We got Heath Ledger, and he's in the original Joker makeup. That, I'll never remember his name. But the Joker who was in the Batman TV series with um, Adam West. And I'm sure there's... um, John, I don't know if you listen to this, but... I'm sure you're jumping on me out there. I know his name! And he's raising his hand right now. He's chiming in. He'll probably tag me on something before this is over with. And then I also have the master, George Carlin, um, in, I guess, what is one of his uh, professional photos for uh, for one of his books. And, you know, these, these guys, I don't know. I just I think about different men and different legacies. And legacy looks a lot like Tragedy on paper, right? You can you can just switch it out. L E V I T Y. Oh, L E G A C Y. <gasps> Levity Legacy. Hmm. Yeah. You could find a legacy in tragedy. <gasps> there's people who make their legacy out of tragedy. Yeah, there's a lot of people who do horror movies and they do ugly things. There's you know Ted Bundy made his legacy in tragedy, right? Think about that. 
But you have so many opportunities when things are going wrong to, to pause the conversation, to slow it down, to say something funny. And it the finding levity thing generally comes from being funny because somebody will have something that's unfortunate and you've got a joke, an irony, a 26 that you can make to throw their mind off of it, you know. My dad used to throw up two softballs in the air and throw his glove behind his back. And he could catch one, maybe two. And he always say, make sure one, go for two. And it was, it was funny. It was like, there's, there's only one ball in play at any given time. Like, why would you ever need to catch two balls? Oh, that's not what she said. But you got all of these things where ugliness in the world can lead to, to humor. And George Carlin has this, you know, and, and nobody ever breaks down his stuff. They'll try to fight Dave Chappelle, but I mean, these these guys are the all-time heavyweight champions of the First Amendment. Carlin's bit about uh, rape, rape can't be funny, you can't, this, you can't find humor in rape, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and then he says, picture uh, Porky, is it Porky Pig raping Daffy Duck? He was coming on to him, he was dressed like it, he was asking for it. You know, and I think it's I think it's the other way. I think it's Daffy Duck raving Porky Pig. It would make more fun if it was made more sense. It seems to me if he was doing it to Elmer Fudd, who had the shotgun chasing him. But it, it's it's cartoon characters in this outrageous realm. And is it funny? I I mean, you know, humor is an individual interpretation of things. Is it humorous to you? I just I I have a hard time when people talk about tragedy. I have a hard time looking at somebody and wanting to let them cry in front of me. And I think if you if as long as you get the information out, this is my interpretation. But as long as you get the information out, it's not of the utmost importance that you get out all the tears and the sorrow and have a nervous breakdown in front of me. And to me, it's what's most important is the substance, right? You, you get off the fears and then you're down to the the nitty gritty of it, um, and that to me is is of the utmost importance. Because as you look around, you have, and I talked about this in in the article that I'd written called "Finding Levity in Tragedy." You have this person who's who's drowning, or the, the opportunity to drown. I mean, the, my, um, I'll tell you this: my children's mother, um. And I conceived four kids. We have three. And kid number three was going to be named Braden, and I believe he was he was over three months along. And we're fooling around, and there's some. I was like, man, it's things are a little wetter than they should be, and that was blood. So we go get her checked out in the hospital. They observe her. They wrap the stomach monitor around her, and it's apparent that there's there's a heart rate that's diminishing, and um, she ends up having a stillborn. You know, and they give us the child to hold and everything afterwards, and um, we had him cremated and so he, she has his his remains because i mean that's you know why wouldn't you leave him with the mother so years later i mean i've, I've told that story but only after i've introduced it in some silly way oh yeah that's one of the two times that 
sex has been nearly or completely fatal with me, or, you know, that's one of the two times somebody's died or almost died having sex with me, and yeah, <laughs> and I'm like, no, you know, how you can have sex to induce labor, you know, when she's eight, nine months long, whatever, you can do that to try to get her to, you know, expand and push the baby out and get through the process, having sex is, is a way to, you know, get everything rolling, well, guess what, if, if they're too premature in that then you don't have a healthy baby right and if you can do it at nine months why can't you do it at four or five months because uh, i guess it could happen right it could happen who knows i don't know what the truth of that is but i I feel you know like i played a giant part in it and when I introduce, it's only ever been introduced like that. I've never told it in this sad way. I got a real, here, pick me, pick me. I got a real sad story to tell. Woohoo. I don't do it like that. It comes across in this other way. And, you know, so you start it out that way and people are like, ah, oh, that's outrageous. And you tell them the story and they're like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, I'm, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. A long time ago, I started looking at stuff in this very clear light. If you can't do anything about it, you've put your resources into it, why are you dragging the emotions of it around with you? If you find something else that you can logistically, you find another option that you can pursue, then maybe you need to feel bad about it and you ain't pursued that option and you feel guilty. But if you did everything you can do and you can't do anything about it, why are you carrying around you know, your head in your hands? I'm not. You know, we ended up conceiving it. I saw that was going to destroy her. You talk about postpartum depression and stuff. I saw that that was going to destroy her. We have another son because of that. You know, and and he's a great kid, you know, Mr. J.H., Mr. Joho. He is. He's Jonathan Howard. <laughs> he's Joho. Um, or he's Hojo. I get the ho- Hojo is Howard Johnson was the original Hojo was at hotels and I, I, did he play second base for the New York Mets? You guys can look this up. You can Google it for yourself. No, I think he's number twenty two for the New York Mets. But I don't have any you know regrets about Jonathan. It's you know maybe he should have been named Brayton and he would have been another time and he'd have been a little bit older by now. But. I mean, the best of the circumstances, you know. The levity in that tragedy was to try again. It was, it was, I was not going to leave that situation, and it, that would have been terrible. It would have been terrible for my children. It would have been terrible for everybody who ever interacted with her again. She walked through life in this very disparaging way. So I did what I could to repair the situation. It's come out very nicely quite frankly especially for you know my son and daughter and i have a younger sibling and they all get along and got dogs and great education and high aptitude and everything right very blessed could have been a lot uglier could have been you know and and if you're in 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 business and you have the chance to remodel or renovate some people call it re-image you have a situation with a friend and you can re-image them why are you looking at yourself that way? And you can paint them up and build them up and do all this stuff to make them a better person. To take the load off of their shoulders. Oh, I don't know how we're ever going to clean this place up. Here, I'll help you. Do it, man. 
fucking distract. The levity part is doesn't have to be comedy. It doesn't have to be a distraction. You can actually take on, and I talk about this in the article, you can be their life raft. You can take on the burden, help them rise above, drag them back to the surface. Ben Stein has this tremendous, and I, I'll bet it's not on YouTube or anything, but Ben Stein gave this speech to the Commonwealth Club of, it's out in California, and he was talking about how he used to go out and he'd rake leaves with his dad. His dad would make him, you know, rake rake leaves with him and, and whatever, and he hated, you know, nobody wants to do that yard work, et cetera, et cetera. That was going to be part of his chores and his, you know, et cetera. But um, here is this speech. I've tried to bring it up. Let's see if it will let me. This program was, was recorded live. <gasps> this is the full program. So guess what, folks? I'm going to link this to you in the notes of this uh, podcast. And I'm also going to share this on my social media. But he talks about how his dad would come out and he'd say, tell you what, we're going to rake the leaves, we're going to do the yard, we're going to do it together. We'll do it together, and it cuts the work in half. This, you know, some of these speeches by these guys like Ben Klein, like, that's my that's my levity and tragedy, man. I'm fucking feeling a certain way, and I go turn that on, and I go, what a beautiful fucking thing. I was just talking about Jonathan. Now I'm talking about Ben Stein. You want to know the irony of this? He gave this speech on uh, January 24th, 2008. Jonathan's born on January 5th. Whatever. Whatever. Well, we'll put those pieces together and we'll say it's a coinkadink. But I think to myself that if you have the opportunity to pull somebody up, I mean, people do it with, with social uh, agendas. You know, they they come up with things to help out poverty and help people rise above the poverty line. Even if your GPS won't find the poverty line, sometimes you stumble across it. Grab people. Give them a helping hand. What's that first episode of mine say? Ah, The open door. Open the door for them. Help them out. Acknowledge them. Maybe that's all they need. Somebody to pay attention to them. Hey, people are listening. I I should clean myself up. Shouldn't be wearing this endless summer hoodie. Whatever it might be. You know, you, you don't know unless you're trying some different options. And once you've tried those options, like I said, don't feel bad about whatever the outcome is. If you can't do anything more. If you can do more, put yourself back into it. Be a scavenger. Go find that levity in somebody else's tragedy. You know, it ain't necessarily your... People will tell you that it's not your business. <laughs> if it's happening on this planet, it's it's your business. I don't got to tell you anything. No, William Longyard was my favorite teacher in high school. I might even tag him in this. And it was, uh, I had him for an English class. I also had him for for film critique. And people would ask him, do we have to do this homework? And he would say, no, you don't have to do your homework. (laughs) And they'd say, well, is it for a grade? Is there going to be any consequences? And he said, I don't know. And he, maybe he really didn't know. Maybe the next day he was just going to like take it out of, you know, it wasn't, he wasn't actually going to ask them any pop quiz questions or, or have them turn in, whatever. Maybe it was just extra credit or practice. I don't know that he knew, and it, only he has that answer. But 
it was one of the, the the fun pieces that I had during my education. You know, he would make people come in, and you know, you'd have to go up to his desk and raise your leg like a dog if you had to go to the bathroom. Which people nowadays would think, oh, what? That's humiliating. What's he doing to the kids? That's savage. And it was, it was all in good fun, man. Get the fuck out of here. What else happened in his class? Brian. I remember Brian's name. You want to know about school shootings? This happened in 1999, I believe. Here's some levity and tragedy. Brian was a kid who sat a couple of seats behind me in our film class. And apparently had some whatever views of me. And they found some, I don't remember the story. It's something about he had an unsavory note and had communicated to somebody that he wanted to do some harm to me. And so they removed him out of the class and whatever else they did with him. But I remember hearing about it later. And it was like, you're okay, right? And I was like, why, why is there some reason I wouldn't be okay? Well, you know, Brian, you know. And I was like, I don't know, Brian. And ironically enough you want to know one of my favorite characters and favorite favorite movies is the score which is a martin scorsese film from 2001 it's got uh, de niro uh edward norton it's got uh, marlon brando they're, they're, they're robbing this jewelry house and edward norton plays this double character where he's this savvy you know ambitious small-time criminal who wants to pull a big job but he goes and gets robert de niro to help him with the job and on the job, he works in the Canadian Customs clear, uh, customs House or whatever. I always want to say Clearinghouse because the publisher's Clearinghouse. He plays this guy, this guy named Brian who's like a special needs whatever kind of guy who does different things. And, you know, he's quirky. And I just thought that was ironic. I always think about Brian from um, high school who I never heard another word from and, and don't have any ill feelings about. But apparently he had some not well wishes about what he was going to do about some situation. And I just remember thinking, like, you know, what if? But that was in, in Longyard's class. And, you know, was, you know he, he would, he's not antagonizing somebody to say, I don't know, maybe you should do your homework. Maybe you shouldn't do your homework. <laughs> it's like, should you open the door for this guy? I don't know. You could open it and see what happens, or maybe you won't see what happens. I've often seen, and I said this a couple of episodes ago, is you say anything you want in the world. You just don't know what it'll cost you. There was a guy in Winston-Salem, and this is not necessarily levity and tragedy, but I'm, I'm going to tell this story anyway. It's just, um, you can Google this. It's a fairly big story, or it was around here. Uh, he's a Winston-Salem barber and they were having Banana Day or Banana Drive By, I think is what it's called. Put put that into Winston Salem Banana Drive By or Barber Banana Drive By. His name was Michael something, I believe. But he, in the middle of the the, the early protests, after they'd burned the Target in Minneapolis or, or looted it and burned down whatever else they did and, and did some damage, somebody was Facebook Live, you know, some. They put on there, I guess, some people marching, fist up, doing their thing. And he said something along the lines of, throw them bananas, they love bananas. And somebody screen captured it and was like, hey, look at this racist son of a bitch. 
Now, my levity and tragedy in that is, how could he be a racist? He's not telling people they can't have a speed competition or they can't run around the track. or the, He's not against races. He's, you know, what he's, they're, trying, they're saying he's against people of different ethnic groups, people who don't match his demographic. My words are, he doesn't have the same demographics as them on the census. He's against them. Now, is he a racist? I don't know. Is he, is, he, is he denying them opportunity? Is he denying them freedom? Is he denying them process? Because that, that's what institutional racism is. It doesn't treat people equally. There's nothing in the First Amendment that says we all got to like each other. If I don't like gingers and I want to tell them that they look like a gingerbread man, there ain't nothing against that. And that's not dehumanizing that. Well, I guess in a way, the gingerbread men are food, so you might be dehumanizing them. But you, you understand what I'm saying. I'm not denying him any of his freedoms by saying, I fucking hate gingers. You know, I, don't, I don't know. You know, I don't have a problem with anybody, right? On my desk is Malcolm and Martin. And, and like right in front of me is, is Thomas Paine going to France and the Truman's a Democrat from hell and Heath Ledger's a well-known Australian actor and drug user and Axl Rose is, boy, he's his own thing. And I just think to myself... Like here's this guy and he's yelling about bananas and they're gonna they're running him down. They want to run him out of Winston. They don't want anybody to ever go to his barber shop again. Whatever, whatever. He said some shit. Yes, whatever he said is part of free speech. Let's be very clear about that. Is it racist? I don't. I don't see him depriving anybody of anything. But what's it gonna cost him? It may cost him his public image, his reputation. Right. So he's not telling anybody they're not equal or they have to go back to sharecropping or some crazy nonsense. He's just trying to make fun of the crowd. And I guess the it, it is. It's a tragedy. People burning down their own communities or going to another community and tearing it up. Either way, you're doing some unruly things to established property. <sighs> That's not a protest. People who go chain themselves around the flagpole and protest do no damage to the flagpole. A sit-in. We're going to go sit in at the lunch counter. Yeah, but they're not going to tear up the lunch counter and throw all the ice cream out in the streets. They're just going to sit in. <laughs> the whole point. Otherwise, you're looting and causing property damage and arson and looting and everything else. And those are all illegal acts. You know. That I was telling you, the... the Girl said to me, you know, here's this guy. He says, you can't be pro-life and, or you can't, I'm sorry, you can't be pro-choice and save our children because pro-choice means that abortion kills children and you're not saving all the children. I said, just tell him. They're both legal. You have the option of abortion and anything against the kids is, is illegal anyway. So you're on the side of, of what's right and wrong in the eyes of the law. And if he's trying to tell you something different, he's trying to deny you your freedoms. And he is, under Roe v. Wade. But the thing with the barbershop owner is that he said all that stuff. And, you know, someone said, oh, he can't say that stuff. And I said, oh, whoa. He can say whatever he wants. He's just got to live with it. And whatever you guys decide in his absence or, or in, in his presence, based on those words, is what it'll cost him. Was it foolish? Yeah, he might have been. Who knows if it's, I don't know what time of night it was, how much alcohol he had in his system, whatever. But you got to remember this. In the state of North Carolina, anyway, you cannot e legally enter into a contract without like six different criteria. Like you have to be of consent and consideration and have, you know, all of the in-betweens. And so when you look at that, 
and go, okay, wait a minute, this guy's got dementia, so he can't enter into a contract. No, he can't. He's drunk. He can't. No, he can't enter into a contract. Are you going to hold him liable for the things he did while he was drunk? Well, yes, if he's operating a car illegally and he hits somebody, that's a DWI. That's, it could be vehicular homicide, manslaughter, whatever they end up looking at it with, right? But if you say something while you're drunk, do you own it? Yeah, you said it. I mean, you know. Lewis Black quotes the Catholic Church. He says, "If in the eyes of the Catholic Church, if you thought it, you said it, asshole. Um, yeah, he, he's supposed to own it. Right? He said it, right? He made the choice to get drunk. I'm going to tell you, if you get drunk and go mow the yard and you cut your foot off, it's, you know, you did this that led to that. So, right, right. How it is. But, is the guy, you know, being outrageous? You can hate people. And I'm going to go to this, and I'm going to wrap up with finding levity and tragedy. But if me and you were playing basketball against each other, and I slam dunk it in your face, and I'm like, yeah, take that, you son of a bitch. Does that mean I think ill things about the woman who conceived you? No. It's me talking trash on the basketball court. You're playing a character. You're doing your thing. You're playing the fool sometimes. You're being a bitch. You're doing what you're doing. God bless. It's not all seriousness. You have to have levity. I'm sorry, levity and tragedy. You have to have levity and tragedy. Um, and at the end of the day, like, there's something to be learned from all of that. Think about it that way. Think about where you can go from trying and failing. I'm the guy who's telling you I'd rather have the memories than the sleep. I'd rather have a bad story than a good story, or than the no story. I'd rather have a bad story than a good story. Um, and so you have to think about what's going on in the moment. Is that his true self? Is that who he... Yeah, that's his true color. That's who he really is. Well, if he's not an alcoholic and he ain't drinking all the time, he probably don't think that way most of the time. So statistically, you're absolutely wrong. This guy works 60 hours a week, and you see him sitting on the curb, and you're like, yeah, you lazy son of a bitch. Oh, oh, he's resting from working time and a half every week, and you saw him like that, so that's your perception, but it's statistically inaccurate. Now, in your instance, it's 100% what you experienced with him, right? But in the course of his life, it's a very small percentage, and it's not... The same experience. He's privy to all this other information that you don't have. It's like when you go into a place and you offer up your ideas. And you say, oh, I'm going to change the world. I'm going to throw all my ideas over there on this table. And they're going to read them. And they're just going to fall on the floor. And I'm going to be the CEO. Because I see things the way they're supposed to be. I've been here for four days. And I got all these ideas. I'm going to change this place. Are you? You ever think they might have already considered all those things and they're either not in the budget or, you know, whatever, they don't have working partnerships. A lot of reasons why people couldn't make decisions to do uh, a lot of different adaptations between uh, finances and social networks and whatever else that go into these relationships that then determine large, you know, large and bigger and broader business decisions. The levity and tragedy thing is, I start off small. You talk trash to me, and 
I think, man, this is just not going well. And so maybe I try to say something funny. Hmm. Hmm. Let's say something funny to Elijah. Hey, Elijah! Sorry you feel that way. Let's go out to the parking lot and we'll stand around and talk like men. We'll pull our cars up next to each other, lean on them, cross our arms, and talk like real guys in the old days. Now, does he think I'm a... Yeah, he does, because he ain't got no car, and he knows I'm saying that to him. Is that levity? Well, for him it ain't, but for everybody else in the room it is. They've experienced this hostile working environment, because he's yelling at me, and now I've said something, and we're all laughing. Well, all but him. Is that statistically accurate? Because he has a bad time, but the rest of us have a good time. Think about that. You're doing something for the, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one. I believe that's Spock that said that, right? Star Trek, Gene Roddenberry. And I think about, you know, anything that I can do to try to, to pitch in and help people is, are you helping a lot of people or are you helping somebody small, right? I'll help mow my mother's yard, and I do it with what's called, a re- I've talked about this, a real mower. So it doesn't have an engine. You roll the wheels, the, reels, the wheels roll the blades, and it cuts the grass. It, it doesn't cut dandelions very well. It doesn't cut weeds. It's, it's For looks, it ain't the best thing because it leaves some flaws. But for the carbon footprint of man and putting stuff up in the atmosphere and all the other bullshit, it's better for everybody. And you go, yeah, but your yard doesn't look like it does in the picture. And I don't care about that. It's grass. It's going to grow. People complain about the length of my hair or what it might be doing. And I say, I ain't got to look at it sometimes in my head. Now, I take more pictures and share things on social media and stuff. So maybe I'm a little more conscious about some of it nowadays. But not as much. You'd be surprised. And, you know, statistically what I said is still true. I still predominantly don't pay attention to it. And it's not a big deal. And I work from home and I do it with without visuals. And so it's not... It's not the end of the world. And guys, if you're in that, you know, you, you're down on yourself. You don't know what's going on. You got that tragedy mindset. Oh, he's been verbally abusing me. And he cheated on me. And he, okay, but what what do you have to gain by your different avenues? Like, if you leave him, are you ruining a relationship that you have with a loved one? You know, all of this history that you built with somebody. Is it going to be bad for the kids, the, the people who look at you, family? Are they going to look at you and like, don't blow it? You know, um, is there another side of it where you know you got a lot more to gain? Like, man, I make all the money, and he's he's draining all my resources, and he's you know we don't even sleep in the same bed, whatever. There's people like that, and and you might end up a little lonely or something. You might have to start over in a situation, but maybe that's the levity that you you know that you you're looking. To have. There might be a way that you could look at it differently and, and try to reapproach. I mean, you can always try to have a discussion with somebody, but I think that, like this paragraph that I was writing, it says, Against time and exhaustion, we have the ability to help one another. Look them in the eye with reassurance. And that's all I ever, you know, as long as I'm looking up at the sky and I'm looking back at you and down at the floor and looking back at you and I'm throwing your eyes and ears somewhere else, what's he doing? Keeping you from crying. Then I'm going to look you in the eye and I'm going to tell you it's going to be all right. Remember that. Anyway, I'm going to wrap this up and go by the yard and 
do a bunch of walking and enjoy this endless summer on the last calendar days before it turns into fall. I hope all you guys have enjoyed your Saturday. If you're listening to me, I appreciate the attention, the vanity, and you'll be hearing from me again real soon. Take care. (laughs) 